Kia ora, I'm Tom Kitchen and today on The Detail. The main road between Blenheim and Nelson could be closed for months. Initial assessments show parts of State Highway 6 have been completely wiped out. Northlanders say slow progress on their region's broken roads is going to cost lives and keep a chokehold on the region's economy. The indefinite closure of the Mangamuka Gorge for the second time in as many years has them asking why State Highway 1 isn't held to the same standard in Taitukaro as it is in other parts of the country. East coasters are cleaning up after last week's weather hit and along State Highway 35 they're exhausted. While roading contractors work tirelessly to keep it open, the famous road is in serious disrepair. A huge section of the Coromandel's State Highway 25A, which links the west and east coasts, has been swept away in a landslide and sections of the main road around the region, State Highway 25, are also damaged. Roads around the country are falling apart before our eyes. There she goes, mate. But it's nothing new. The experts say some roads are in the worst condition they've ever seen. It comes after multi-million dollar damage from the wettest winter ever. State highways in Northland, Central Waikato, Gisborne, Wellington and Nelson Marlborough all taking a hit. With the damage mounting and the repair bill growing, who pays to fix our roads? We are facing a very real situation now where we, the funding just cannot support the level of service that the customer expects and that we would expect to deliver for them on the network. That's the reality. For 100 years, we've basically built roads the same way. Most people don't think it's sustainable. The far north is one of the regions that's borne the brunt of the severe storms. Councillor Anne Court is still trying to come to terms with the huge damage done to the region's roads. Well, last year we had the significant event which took out the Mangamukas and that's still closed. We'd only just got that open from the previous event and that's State Highway 1. So that's our main arterial route that takes us north to Kaitaia and beyond up to Kipuranga. That's a critical strategic link for us. When that's closed, as it was last time for over a year and this time it'll be longer, that puts an enormous amount of strain on the existing network, which is not designed for it. Right, so what about your local roads at State Highway 1? What about the condition of some of the roads around the far north that the council will look after? Inevitably, what happens when a main arterial goes out like that is it puts more pressure on the local roads and uh, people take shortcuts, quite rightly. They find ways to sneak across through the middle. Uh, There are some gravel roads. You start putting a lot of traffic on that, especially heavy trucks. Uh, It doesn't take long before they pack it in. Add to that that it has just not stopped raining and we're diverting crews to emergency repairs. It's really hard to get on top of maintenance. Tell me about, you know, some of the local roads that are the worst off. I uh, used to drive a Holden Commodore. So after the last storm event, I went out to inspect some of the roads. I couldn't get my vehicle through. Give you some idea. Uh, You had to go in a four-wheel drive utility-type vehicle to get through. So you can imagine if you live on one of those roads and you don't have those type of vehicles, that means you just don't get through. They take an enormous toll on the vehicle. And they take an enormous toll on the adjoining farmland in terms of silt, stormwater washout, gravel migration. Uh, It's an enormous 
environmental issue. It's not just a roading issue. So why can't you get through? What kind of condition is the road in which means you can't get through? Can you describe that for me? If you can imagine the kind of rainfall that Auckland's just had, um, we get regular tropical storms as the weather changes up here in Northland. We have elastic soils, which means that they can be extremely tight and compact when it's dry and they expand when it's wet. And we have very challenging terrain, which is very hilly. So we get that kind of weather bombs hitting us regularly. It brings monsoon deluges that overwhelms the water systems. And that ends up using the carriageway as the water system to convey the water. And that causes great big washouts and ruts in the road. There's no easy fix to that. You've been a councillor for 24 years. Have you ever seen it this bad? No. What, what's made it worse? I think it's a number of things. The, the funding has been coming extremely constrained. We're not getting the level of funding that we need out of the National Land Transport Fund. The network is experiencing a different kind of use. We're the fastest growing region in New Zealand. That's been consistent through the bill reports for the last three quarters. So we're putting more traffic on the road. Our proximity to Auckland means we get a lot of tourism up here, so that's putting more traffic on the road. We're getting a lot of heavy freight. We're getting a lot more industry up here. Avocados are one example, but there are others. And all of that freight and logistics is moved by road. So we're asking our roads to do an awful lot more with less funding in a challenging environment that is increasingly difficult to manage. Yeah, and as the climate changes, I guess we're seeing this more and more often and we might see it more and more often. Oh, we have to plan for this. And I think that's the missing link in this whole conversation is the government's got this climate change objective for 2050, uh, but there doesn't seem to be any thinking about the here and now. We're in crisis management And you're seeing that all over the country. You've seen the weather events at the top of the South Island, weather events in Gisborne, the recent weather event in Auckland. We just constantly um, rinse, repeat. So how does road funding actually work? Here's the New Zealand Herald's Deputy Political Editor, Thomas Coughlin. It's pretty simple, actually. It's it's funny, it's been the same way for 100 years. We've basically built roads the same way. So that piece of legislation allowed the government to raise money from uh, costs associated with cars. So that's the petrol that you put in them. So you tax the petrol, uh, you tax the tyres, you tax the registrations to register a vehicle. That raises money from all of those um, costs and it puts them into a sort of central government kind of kitty. So that's the central government side of things. Uh, and then you have a local government side of things and local governments raise revenue from rates. Uh, in Auckland, they raise a lot of money from events and other sort of things that that, that councils do. Uh, and and every every road is a mixture of those kind of pots of, of funding. So Wakakotahi NZTA, that's the central government part of things. They look after that big pot of central government money uh, and they would, fund 100% of state highways. State highways are owned, as the name suggests, by the state. 
the central government. And so central government looks after 100% of, of how uh, they are built and run and funded. So Wakatahi looks after that. Uh, for local roads, most of New Zealand roads are local roads. These are the roads that you tend to um, drive down if you're, you know, living in your any ordinary road in a city or town in New Zealand. Those roads are council roads, and so they're jointly funded by Wakatahi and the local authority there. So it's basically overall a mixture of rates, petrol taxes, and road user charges. But there's a problem. Thomas says Wakatahi's emergency funding budget has all but dried up. They've got about $300 million from, uh, in that budget for emergency repairs. So emergencies, obviously New Zealand has, for the entire time that's existed, uh, has had storms. Those storms destroy roads. Um, that is very normal. And so we, we always set aside money from the fuel taxes to pay for fixing the roads when they get broken. Now, what is obviously uh, a problem is that Climate change means that there are a lot more storms and that means that we need a lot more money to, to fix the damage that those storms create. I think uh, in the last five-year period, I think 2013 to 2018, we had a couple of 15 to $50 million weather events, they're called. Um, and so that you know obviously was quite expensive for Wakakatahi, but in, this, in the subsequent five-year period, so that's 18 to 2023, 20, the year we're in now, we've had six or seven storms of of a 15 to 50 million dollar cost uh so that has put a lot of pressure on that budget uh and the government's sort of indicated pretty strongly that um it's going to have to step in and take general taxpayer money which is just from you know the taxes that, that you and i and and everyone pays on on their income they'll have to take that money and top up the transport fund to help pay for the cost of of these storms and that's a wee bit controversial because the whole idea behind the transport fund is that if you drive, you pay for the cost of maintaining the roads that you drive on. So if taxpayers are coming in and bailing out drivers, then it means that drivers are no longer covering the full cost of what it takes to maintain New Zealand State Highway and road networks. Back to Anne Court in the far north. How does it work there? Well, there's two answers to that. Is maintaining it in the first place. Uh, so if we could get on top of the maintenance in the first place, I think we'd see less damage in the road. But we're constantly moderated down in our funding applications from Waka Kotahi. The second thing is when you have a significant weather bomb, you then have to apply to Waka Kotahi for emergency funds. They have to budget what emergency funds they think they need in three yearly cycles. They expended their emergency cycle, uh, emergency funds in the first year of that cycle, which gives you an indication of the pressure they're under and the pressure local authorities are under. So you can't just increase rates dramatically to pay for all this damage, can you? No, because we are locked into the Local Government Rating Act, so we have to set what we want to spend in the 10-year plan go out and consult with the community on that every three years and then strike the rates. And we make some provision for emergency works, but if you have significant weather bomb after significant weather bomb like we just have, uh, we have not budgeted enough for emergency works and neither have Waka Kotahi. And, and that in itself creates some challenges. Right, so what does that mean can't be done on the network if you can't pay for it? 
we are facing a very real situation now where we the funding just cannot support uh, the level of service that the customer expects and that we would expect to deliver for them on the network. That's the reality. What do you need? How can this change? I mean, it doesn't sound like this is sustainable. It's not sustainable. And to give you some context, we have to bid three years in advance. So we have to put together a plan. We submit it to Waka Kotahi, and they set the budgets for the following three years. So in our last funding round, based on our asset management plans, we asked for $105 million for road maintenance. Um, they gave us $88.4 million. Uh, they had to borrow $2 billion from the Crown that needs to be paid back. Uh, so we all got slightly less than we asked for, and we're facing the same cost pressures that everybody else is. Inflation is through the roof. Concrete's gone up 60%. Steel's up 80%. The cost of oil is impacting on our ability to do bitumen. Um, and our roading contractors, they all drive petrol and diesel vehicles. So you can imagine they're absorbing price increases as well, and the labour market is constrained. So we're facing significant cost drivers that were not factored in uh, when we submitted our, our application. And when do you get to review this? When do you get to put in your next application? We're starting that process now, uh, but we're waiting for the government to release its, um, its policy statement on what they will support moving forward. And that's a pretty grim picture for us. What do you mean it's a pretty grim picture? What does the government want to focus on? Uh, the government is really clear that they want to focus on further reducing carbon emissions uh, by moving people out of their private vehicles into public transport, walking and cycling. They want to invest in coastal shipping and Kiwi Rail. And they've been very clear that those pro projects will get priority for funding. But what does that mean for a place like the far north? In the far north, we don't benefit from public transport. We don't have much in the way of walking and cycling. We don't have much in the way of um, electric supporting infrastructure. We have very low uptake of electric vehicles. So people up here rely on petrol and diesel vehicles. Uh, they drive significant distances for me to get to the office. For example, it's 80k. Um, there's only one way to do that, that's in a car. So unless the government has an earnest and sincere conversation around splitting the fund out so that the rural and provincial sector gets what they need or the metros get what they need, which are different, quite different, uh, I think we're in for um, more of the same heartache. How can we fund, you know, the city versus the small town differently? Well, you think, uh, Tom, and you live in Auckland and, and you just use public transport, you don't own a car, but you use all the infrastructure, but you don't contribute to that. If you walk or cycle, you use all the infrastructure, but you don't contribute to that. Uh, so we need to find a way that is fair and equitable so that that people who use the infrastructure pay their way. It's interesting because I had a meeting with the Ministry of Transport last year uh, because I'm very passionate about this, so I just landed on their desk. They tell me that there is going to be a review of the land transport revenue system. The minister has ordered this. 
but their initial thoughts were it could take three years to develop the scope, three years to consult, and three years to implement. That's nine years from now. And I would suggest to you that we don't have nine years to sit around and wait while they have those conversations. So obviously, 2023, huge storms. I mean, this was the same in 2022, same in 2021, uh, you know, same over so many years. So do you think the way that we are funding roads now and paying for them is sustainable? Uh, no, and and um, and actually, it's most people don't think it's sustainable. So, so like I said, it's the, the hundred years of of funding roads this way um, this year, uh, and Wakatahi at the moment is doing some work um, behind the scenes on looking at a new way of funding roads, uh, because the way that we fund roads at the moment is from people driving. Uh, and the way to get more money to fix the roads is for people to drive more. Uh, and and obviously, at the moment, basically everyone uh, is is thinking about driving less and reducing the amount of, of driving that we do. Uh, and that means that um, the roads that we use will will kind of um, have their funding siphoned off. Um, and, we, and we can't really have that. Uh, it's also interesting to note that the money that we use, that we get for roads, uh, from petrol taxes and road user charges, it also funds part of the public transport subsidies as well. And so there's a tension there because the more money that gets put into public transport, which we need to take people off the roads and to decarbonise, well, that puts more pressure on the funding that comes from people driving more. And so you can't really, you can't at the same time be incentivising people to drive more, to raise more money from more driving, uh, whilst also putting that money towards public transport, which is encouraging people to drive less and to use public transport more, that you've kind of got to got to pick one. Uh, so it is unsustainable. It's also getting more expensive. Construction costs are very expensive and, and climate change means we need to repair potholes a lot more than we used to. Uh, so at the moment, the, the government is looking at different ways of funding roads. And it might be we might move towards a system of sort of GPS kind of um, funding. So you'll have a tracker in your car and it will measure you know how much driving you do uh, and, and it would charge you accordingly per kilometre, which is basically the idea behind petrol taxes because obviously the more petrol you use the more driving you're doing and therefore the more pressure you're putting on the roads and therefore you should pay a higher amount of tax because you're you're using the roads more um the other idea is kind of like a, a road user charge for everyone and our road user charge because uh, most of us don't don't use them that, that basically charges you for the amount of driving that you're doing and the amount of um the amount of charge that you pay depends on the size of your vehicle so if you're driving a massive massive truck you'll pay quite a lot of money in road user charges and that's because your truck is doing a lot of damage to the roads uh, and so you should be paying more for those roads than someone driving a tiny little um you know diesel car i'm going to be a little bit provocative here it's an election year and the Minister of Transport has just been appointed as the Minister of Auckland and has been on TV talking about Auckland and how if Auckland succeeds, the rest of the country succeeds. Yes, Auckland is important. We love Auckland. And 1.5 million people live there, but 3.5 million people don't. So my challenge, and I guess I'm laying down the gauntlet, and I hope New Zealand will join me, is let's make sure we hold this minister to account that we don't see all these election bribes designed to to support the metros and particularly Auckland at the price of rural and provincial New Zealand. 
that's where the food is made, that's where the economy is, that's where the tourists come, that's where 3.5 million people live. Let's not lose sight of them. That's it for today. I'm Tom Kitchen. The detail is supported by the Public Interest Journalism Fund. Jeremy Ansell engineered today's episode, and our producers are Sarah Robson and Bonnie Harrison. And thanks to Anne Court and Thomas Coughlin. Ma tewa. Te